Uh, now, we will be uh, once again in Revelation. And uh, as we saw last week, we are in the, the seven symbolic signs. Uh, all right. So last week, we talked about the two beasts. We had the beast that came out of the water and the beast that rose up from the land. And we saw these two agents of oppression and persecution and death that Satan had established to battle against the church. Now today, today we are continuing kind of in that, that same uh, symbolic vision, but now we get to see the final outcome. We get to see the heavenly perspective. Uh, before, we only saw the world and the earthly, and now we're seeing it uh, at the end of time the consummation of all things, uh, what it looks like in the end. And this is important because uh, there is a battle waging. The beasts, the beasts come and seek to draw us away from Christ, seek to discourage and to, to persecute. And it is this final vision that gives us uh, the courage and the power, and the stamina to endure, to continue to fight for faith, to endure persecution, and to seek the life that is not found here in this world, but in the one that is to come. So, uh, we are going to see the ultimate uh, song of triumph coming from the mouths of the people of God because they have seen justice done to both the evil and the faithful, that they have seen the defeat of evil in its entirety. And finally, they have seen the great holiness and righteousness of God in the end. And with all that, they, they sing for the triumph that is theirs, not by themselves, but by the work of Christ on their behalf. So, let's pray. Father, We know that you are worthy of all praise. And Father, in this grand vision, you are getting the praise that you deserve. A praise of, of awe. Praise of, uh, of just your astounding majesty and worth and holiness. Of your justice and even your wrath. Father, we ask that you might shape our hearts, that we would hear this song, that we would know that it is true, that it would resonate within us, and Father, that it would give us uh, the stamina to run the race that is set before us. Would you keep our eyes cast and fixed on Jesus Christ, our Savior? Lord, would he uh, be lifted up? Would he be our one true love? And Lord, would you keep us until that final day, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we start by looking at who exactly is going to be standing in the last day. All right. So there was this battle underway. We've seen the, the beasts that have risen. We have seen the dragon. We have seen the, the nations set against the people of God. The armies have gone to war. 
and then John looks. And it's as if the, the smoke begins to clear. And what does he see? Verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. They were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who had not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. So what is left at the very end? First, there's a city. Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the the final city of God, the dwelling place that he has made for his people. And as Mount Zion is lifted up, the nations have crumbled before him. This is the, the last stronghold that Satan and all of his kingdoms, the kingdoms of darkness have passed away, and all that's left is the city of God. And who stands before it but the Lamb, the most unlikely of victors. All right, we had dragons, we had beasts with all of their heads and all of their scales and all of their horns. We had Lady Babylon, who will be introduced in later. But who stands? The Lamb who was slain, the one who was killed. And who resurrected from the dead. He is the one who stands weak, innocent, meek, and yet proven to be powerful. And who stands with him but the 144,000? We saw last week those marked with the mark of the beast. These are those ones marked with the name of the Lord, Christ, the Father. And what are they doing? They are singing. They are singing a song of victory, of peace before God, of triumph over evil. It's a new song because it has never been sung before. At no point before this could they sing utter triumph, the destruction of all evil, the true consummated victory of Jesus Christ. Now we ask, okay, who are the 144,000? All right, oftentimes it's seen as these are, this is some, some special, elect few, the great among all. But no, these are, this is a symbolic representation of all of the followers of Jesus Christ. We have 12 times 12. 12, all of the believers before Christ. 12, all of the followers after Christ in the church age. Two numbers of completion and a fullness, and then add that and multiply that, and a thousand. The full multitude of all of the people that have been chosen by God have been marked as those that are His. 
This is all believers. And they are all singing. That's why it's so loud. This is not 144,000 worth of singing. This is all of the multitudes of everyone who has ever been saved. And it is a roar from heaven. Now, how are they described? It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. All right, odd descriptor. And we think, okay, some of us are out. Um, All right, just clarity here. All right, first, uh, God-ordained marriage is not defiling. Sex is not defiling. And so what is it saying? Why Why is it calling them? Virgins, and this is not some elect who, who have chosen this better path. There is no better path in that regard. All right. This is because these are the ones who are spiritual virgins before Christ, their bridegroom. That they lived with faithfulness in anticipation of the wedding supper of the Lamb. And that there are numerous places to, to defile themselves, other people to run after. We saw last week the beast. That in fear and in escape of persecution, they could run and unite themselves with him. We're going to see Lady Babylon with all of her material wealth and, and sensual pleasures. They could defile themselves there, but no. These are the ones who have stayed faithful to Christ have sought faithfulness to him. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. All right, so it's not just that they have, they have heard the call. They have heard it and they follow Jesus. In particular, they have followed Jesus uh, where he walked. In suffering and in persecution, they have carried their cross and followed him, some unto death. All of us are given a uh, a particular cross to bear, and they have followed Christ in that call. These are the redeemed from mankind as first fruits for God and the Lamb. All right, so first fruits. Uh, this is the, the special selection of, of the harvest that is reserved for God and is usually sacrificed. It's, it's usually burned or presented to God as an offering. All right, this could mean two things. First, it could mean that this is a first of something that's going to come. And that this is the, kind of the first believers, and then there's more to come later. All right, sometimes it means that in Scripture. That's not what it means here. Instead, the first fruits. Why does it call these believers the first fruits? Because there is this whole harvest. There's all of humanity. And God chooses for himself those that are the first fruits, his portion. They belong to him. And they have been reserved for a special purpose for worship. But they are also an offering unto him. And they submit to that offering, but also relish in the fact that they have been chosen and beloved and, and are his. In their mouth, No lie was found, for they are blameless. We've seen lies in Revelation before. In some of the churches, there's there's those who lie and do not speak the truth, claiming to know Christ, but really they're of the synagogue of Satan, 
that they are mere believers in the law or members of the world. But no, these ones, they have they've rejected the blasphemies and lies that come from the beast's mouth, and they have professed faith in Christ. And they love him honestly and truly. Now, are you part of the 144,000? Now, as we consider that, the emphasis here is it's not on works. All right, the, the mountain that's lifted up is not Mount Sinai, where Moses got the law. This is not the, the good Christians who have lived perfect lives. No, what does it call them? It calls them the redeemed from the earth. They had to be bought out of slavery and death and judgment. They have not earned their position here. No, they have been chosen. They have been given faith. And they have found life in Christ that would not be there otherwise. So that, that is the test. Are you part of this 144,000? Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you sought your life in him? Has he gifted you with a concern and love for Jesus that could not and would not be there otherwise? That is the 144,000. Now, for those who, who are part of that, there's also this reality that if you have been redeemed, there's this call to run after the Redeemer, to look like a Redeemer, to love him and follow him, to show faithfulness to him, not just lip service that ultimately shows itself to be a lie, but no, real love and faith that is revealed in the last day. Those, those 144,000, through trial and through death and through persecution, through sword and famine and suffering, they stand in the last day. And they don't stand weeping, they stand rejoicing with a new song, a song of victory. Do you trust? Do you trust that God will bring us to that day? that you'll be part of that choir in heaven, that you'll be part of the multitude singing the praises of God. Why will you be singing? You'll be singing because you'll have seen the justice of God, verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth to every nation, tribe, language, and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory, because the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, A third followed, saying in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels 
and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark on its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. This is why the 144,000 sing. They have seen the three angels. The first, fear God and give him glory because the hour of judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Now notice, what is this angel proclaiming? He proclaims the eternal gospel. And yet, what does he say? He says, the hour of judgment has come. The eternal gospel always has with it the reality of judgment. The gospel is not the opposite of judgment. It is the the fulfillment of judgment in Christ. And for those who are not in Christ, there is a remaining judgment. And not a judgment that will, is hypothetical or, or never to be realized. No, it's a judgment that, that will come in the last day. It will come at this hour. It is why we need the gospel and cannot be denied. And second, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. Now, we're going to see Lady Babylon later. But who is this? All right, Babylon is the symbol of the city of man. It's kind of the opposite of, of the Mount Zion picture. Mount Zion is this place of holiness and, and beauty where God is ultimate in Babylon. Babylon is this place of sensuality and lust and wealth where man reigns. And what does Lady Babylon do? She is there to seduce the world. That as they drink all of the sensual pleasures of this life, they become drunk with it and stupid and foolish. And though the angels above are crying out, judgment, judgment, they are too confused to hear it. But in the end, Babylon has fallen. Mount Zion has, has risen against it, and Babylon is destroyed. All of the pleasure, all of the wealth, all of those things will come to naught. All of those things will be buried under the rubble, and Mount Zion golden city. That is the one that will remain. 
We have a third. A third angel declares, if anyone worships the beast in its image and receives a mark on their forehead or his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath. Now remember, what did we say about the, the mark of the beast? Is it physical? No. Is it a credit card that you get one day? Is it a stamp that goes on your hand? No, it's the mark of your faith in the beast. Just like we are spiritually marked with the name of Christ, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a follower of the beast, you are marked with that mark. And before, it used to get you out of persecution. It used to be this great, hey, I, I, can, I can be a member of the world. I can sell and I can trade and I can be regarded as a good citizen in the world of the kingdom of darkness. But now they are selected by that same mark for another thing, verse 10. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he'll be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torrent goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest night or day these worshipers of the beast in its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. And we have to pause here. All right, first, this is the reality of an eternal destination. There is hell. And there is hell for real people. It is a real place. And people will really be there. That is scripture. That is what God has revealed. Right. This is not this is not a book of universalism. That everyone, everyone is saved in the end. No, for those who do not need salvation or want salvation who do not want to give glory to God, who do not care if there is a Savior or not, who do not believe in God or heaven, or who think that they can get there without any help, there is a place. You either put your faith in Christ and escape judgment, or you are under it by your own sin. Now, there's others who say that, okay, maybe there is a place, but it's just you're, you're gone in a snap. You cease to exist. Annihilation. All right, this, this passage, perhaps more than any other, refutes that idea. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. It is pain and it is suffering. It is torment. And it goes up forever and ever, the result that they may have no rest day or night. Right. This is eternal suffering. Now, why? Why do some people believe it doesn't exist? Why do some people think believe in annihilation? Right. It's not because scripture is unclear. It's because we, 
we have trouble. We wrestle with a God who could be good and who could be loving and who could allow this to be the final destination. All right. Now, what, what do we say to this? This is judgment and this is justice. This is the just punishment of a just God. This is justice for having rejected the creator. For having rejected and hated and denied him. For having received countless blessing upon blessing and refusing to offer praise and thanksgiving as a result. This is justice for for mistreating those made in the image of God, for failing to love them, for failing to, to give what ought to be given, to speak as we ought to speak, to love as we ought to be loved, and choosing instead to exalt ourselves, to put ourselves first, to seek idolatry first, to seek our own glory before the glory of the one who created us for mistreating and hating and abusing and killing and lying and stealing and for hearts that if we didn't do it long to this is this is an an, in, an infinite injustice against an infinitely holy God and it demands an eternal punishment. That is the justice of God. Now, how does, how does, that, how does that call believers in Jesus to respond? Here is a call for endurance of the saints. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are those, the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Lord, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. This is a call for endurance. A call for endurance and perseverance, patience. That yes, there is injustice you will be sinned against. You'll be hated, persecuted, mocked, ridiculed, rejected, despised. What is he saying? Like, look. Look at the eternal reality. Look at the end. And endure. Do not grow weary in doing good. Do not seek to escape that suffering, running after Lady Babylon, or in fear, seeking the shelter of the beast, the nations of the world that would protect you with their power. Now, both of those will crumble. And only those marked by faith in Christ, they will endure. And what will they find? They will find rest. 
they will find rest. There is no rest for the wicked. There's no rest from all of their deeds. And yet we, who are in Christ, we're called to great deeds here and now, to great sufferings, to, to love, to sacrifice, to give and get nothing, to speak the truth and be called fools. And yet after all of those deeds, we will find true rest. Do you long for that rest? Do you long to be free of, of temptation and trial, of suffering? There is great rest, eternal rest, because Christ has done eternal works on our behalf. He's given us eternal grace, infinite grace for the injustices that should be ours to pay. So I ask you, how are you called to labor here and now? What are you called to do? What are your deeds? Do not rest from them now. Now is not the time to rest. Now is the time to endure and await the rest that is to come. Are there things, are there things that you do only because Christ is king? Because heaven stands before us. Endure. Now, we continue on. And we have seen the, the retribution for believers and unbelievers. And now we see the, the final harvest of all evil. Verse 14. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud, one like the Son of Man, with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. Another angel came out from the altar, and the angel who had authority over fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle, his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress as high as a horse's bridle for 1,600 stadia. Now who is this? This one like a son of man. This is Jesus. This is Jesus, the Lord of the harvest. But this time he is not coming for the first fruits. He's not coming for the select chosen ones. He is calling, he's coming to all the rest. 
who have ripened by filling themselves with evil and sin and injustice. And now he has come to reap them. And outside of the city of Zion, they are crushed in the winepress of God's wrath. This is one of the most graphic images of judgment in all of scripture. That from 200 miles, the blood flows. A symbol of complete and final judgment. What is this? This is, this is the defeat of all evil. This is the final judgment. This is the defeat of every evildoer. Blood is spilled. And blood flows. Do you believe that this is, this is real? That this is the end? Life is not, is not a game. It's not just a filling of our, a cup of pleasure. This is standing before God and justice will be done and God will not be mocked. Now this sobers us. It sobers us because if you are in Christ, this ought to be you. This ought to be, be us trodden for the harvest of evil that we have produced. And yet instead, it's not our blood flowing, whose blood flows, but Jesus Christ, the blood of the lamb. That he was the one crushed, he was the one. And the wrath poured out upon him who bled. Blood will flow. Blood will be spilt. It'll be either Jesus Christ cleansing blood that will wash over every injustice and sin that you've committed or your blood will flow that God in his wrath may show all judgment and justice. If you are in Christ, know, know that the extent that you believe in the wrath of God, you believe in the grace of God. The deeper, the deeper that wrath goes and justice goes, the more we have a reason to sing in the last day, the more we know how much we have been forgiven, what we have been rescued out of. that we are the first fruits. And we have been chosen by this very God in all of his wrath and all of his justice. And he's the one who spilt his blood for you. Now for those who do not know Christ, hear the warning. Do not be drunk with the wine of Babylon. Do not think that the powers of the beast can save you. 
run to Christ, find shelter at the cross. Let his blood cover you. Be cleansed. Now, the ending psalm. We began with 144,000, and now we get to actually hear a bit of the song that they have been taught. I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, who are the last, for with them the wrath of God is finished. We'll see, we'll see that judgment. Uh, that's the last of these sevens, uh, which Steve will do next week. And then I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations, who will not fear the Lord and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. Now, once again, the 140,000 there, they're standing. And what are they standing before? They're standing before a sea of glass. Now, why a sea of glass? We've seen the sea before. The place of chaos and death, it's where the beast arises from. And yet, just like Jesus stilled the waters with a single word, and they were, they were still, the sea now is still as glass. It is no longer a place of chaos or of death or of persecution or of threat. No, it has been totally, it's, it's been conquered. It does not stir. And it is mingled with fire. It has been purged of all evil by the judgment and wrath of God. And nothing is rising out of that water ever again. And so these ones are rightly called those who have conquered the beast in its image and the number of its name. They're conquerors. They've conquered through the Lamb. And what do they start to do? They start to sing. Now, this is often kind of mocked in the world that, that heaven is just this place of believers sitting around bored to death playing harps and singing and singing and singing. And why would we ever want to do that? Uh, that is the only right response after having seen the end of days. That they have seen what ought to be. They have seen how they ought to have been crushed. They have seen what happened to all evil. They have seen the work of God. They have seen on the one hand the, the extent of his wrath and justice. His amazing holiness. The extent of his purity. And just what he thinks of all of the evil of the world. And then they have seen the extent of the grace that has been given them in Christ. 
they have seen the, the greatness of his wrath and the greatness of his mercy and love and kindness towards them in Christ. We don't mock them for singing. And we recognize if we aren't going to sing in heaven, then we don't really understand. Maybe we don't sing now, but we will sing then. And we'll want to sing then. Forever and forever and forever. Because we will know that this God is worthy of all praise. Of all worship for all eternity. Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways. We will sing that and believe it. We will not be mad at God for the justice he has given. We will say, you alone are just and true. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. They will see. We will see the holiness of God in a way that we cannot taste or bear now. Your righteous acts have been revealed. We will sting and we will stand in awe of who God is. All right. Now, are you singing now? Are you singing now? All right. For now, we cannot fully sing that song. This is a new song because evil still stands. It has not been defeated. But the reality is that in Christ, in Christ, he has, he has written this song by his death and resurrection. And it is being sung now. And it will be sung for all eternity. In a sense, it's a battle song now. It's a making mockery of the evil that stands against us, knowing that we will be victorious. And so in our hearts, we are called to, to sing this song of victory and of hope, of the work of Christ. Uh, one of my favorite hymns, it says, My life flows on in endless song, above earth's lamentation. I hear the sweet, though far off hymn, that hails a new creation. Through all the tumult and the strife, I hear the music ringing. It finds an echo in my soul. How can I keep from singing? Can you hear it? Does it echo in your soul? Can you see above the tumult and the strife and know that God will be victorious in Christ? And they will stand with him in victory. If so, sing now and endure. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we have not known praise as it will be in that last day. And Father, our hearts are cold. And we know not your, your great holiness. 
the extent of the righteousness of your deeds. But Father, we ask that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit that we may know, that we may taste and see, that we would believe that these things are real, that we would know the glory of the grace that has been bestowed upon us. How lavish is your kindness towards us. How great is your love. And Father, would you give us endurance? Would you protect us from the temptations of the world? Would you give us faithfulness to Christ? And Lord, would you give us a great hope for the day we stand, the multitude of the redeemed, and sing of your praise, we pray in Christ's name.